And to say, I really understand Peter's cry. Far be it from you that you should ever suffer, especially now that I'm a father. I'm very proud of the word father. And no father wants to see his child suffer. And so much what a father does in his life is try to keep his children from suffering. Right? And I have, to, I have to admit, I've never felt my fatherhood as a priest more than since I've come down here. And maybe it's because for the first time my parishioners are actually younger than me for the most part. That <laughs> definitely helps. I even got this last week a mug that said, best dad ever. All right, I'm putting that in a glass place. It was kind of a consolation prize because my children abandoned me last week for mass, so I'll take it. But the problem is, is that I, what I've really come to understand is that my, fa- my job as a father is not actually to keep my children from suffering. To be a good father, you don't protect your children from suffering. You teach them how to act in the most proper way in the midst of suffering. Because the truth is, you can never protect anyone from suffering. It's actually suffering that brings out the greatest parts of who we are. And it's the father's job. A mother's job is primarily to take care of the child when they're young, right? Actual empathy in the moment. Fathers always look for potential empathy because they know that when you get out there in the world, there's going to be many things that attack you, many things that try to break you down, and you are going to suffer. And our job is to help you to grow up so when that time comes, it doesn't destroy you. You're strong enough to encounter it and grow. That's the point of a father. And God, who is our perfect father, as we all know, does not protect us from suffering. To live in this world means to suffer. That's a great mystery. God doesn't keep us from all pain, but he encourages us in the midst of it. And as a father, it's very difficult for me to see the sufferings that my students have to go through, my children. And the principal suffering I'm seeing in a lot of my students in these days is that far too early in their life, they're having to make a very important decision that's going to affect the rest of their life, if they get the vaccine or not. Right now, that's putting right in their face that you cannot, you might not even be able to continue to go to school. Some are even being fired from their jobs already when they do not feel consciously that they can receive that vaccine. And I've said it many times, I've never told one person that they shouldn't get the vaccine. It's a very important reason for that. I'm not a competent authority in that area. But I am a competent authority on what it means to protect your conscience, your conscience and your soul and your freedom. That is my authority, and I take that authority very seriously. So when I'm talking about the vaccine, it's not just about vaccines. The real question is, how do you live your life as a faithful Catholic, as a follower of Jesus Christ, in a society that is increasingly testing everything that we believe as Catholics? What does it mean to live in the fidelity of that? I want to talk today about being willing to stand apart when your convictions are contrary to the environment in which you live. So just a simple survey question. How many make the sign of the cross and pray over your meal when you're out in public? That's really good. Is that easy to do? I'm a Catholic priest. I have a collar on all the time. I still get to the point where I'm like looking around like, okay, fine, I'll, you know, represent it. That's, 
natural coward, all right? But there's reasons that it's difficult to express our faith, right, in the midst of a culture that is not Catholic. We're in a post-Christian world today. We have to understand that, where we live. There's a very important evolutionary reason for our fear to stand out, and that's because those who stand apart are food for lions. Why do zebras have stripes? Camouflage, right? Against the Sahara Desert? Zebras stand out. You can see them from, you know, 100 yards away. Try looking for a lion. Lions blend into their environment. Zebras, their food, stand out. How do we make sense of that, right? So one time biologists were trying to study the movement and activities of zebras. So they were watching them. What they found out is that they could never keep their eyes on one zebra because they're constantly moving back and forth and their black stripes are going in and out, right? And so they could never, they'd always just lose it in the midst of the herd because you never see one zebra by itself. You only see a herd of zebras. Well, so the biologist got smart. They said, well, let's go up there and take a big red paint blotch and put it on them, right? That way it will stand out against the herd and we can watch it. What do you think happened to that zebra? First one to be killed by the lions every single time. Because lions don't hunt herds. They can't. They hunt zebras, individual zebras. So zebras have to stay together to blend in in order to have self-preservation. And we are no different as human beings. The way we survive is by blending in with every other person around us. Because deep down we know that when you stand apart, that's when you become a target for the predators. I've been reading this past month, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, The Gulag Archipelago. And it's one man's testimony about life in Russia during the communist uprising and takeover in the 20th century. And talks about the motivations of the people who helped carry along and went along with one of the most bloody Marxist totalitarian regimes this world has ever witnessed. More people were killed by communism in the 20th century than all the centuries combined by any act of killing. We don't understand how deadly that force can be. And so Gulag Archipelago, it outlines from one man's perspective who went spent nine years in the gulags of what happened to the society as it got to that point. So he describes one story that kind of encapsulates the mindset, the mindset of all the Russians. So Stalin, who was the dictator of this time, who do we think was one of the most like evil men in the 20th century? Like what usually comes to mind when we think about it? Hitler, right? Always Hitler. How many did, was Hitler responsible for killing? Like six million, right? Hitler's, I mean, Stalin's three times that. Three times the amount of people. And yet we don't talk about him. We don't talk about the mindset and the ideology that fueled him, which I find very fascinating. It's just interesting. You would think that he would come up. Well, Stalin walks into this big room. I wish this would happen more often when I came into the church. Everyone stands up and starts clapping for him, like standing ovation, right? I've never had this happen to me. I'm waiting for the day. So he comes up there and he's just standing, hundreds of people out there, right? Everybody's standing up, clapping, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, and he's just standing, watching. Old men, old women, 
trying their hardest to keep clapping. You try clapping for six minutes, see how your arms feel. Everyone's clapping, seven minutes, eight minutes. Him and all his goons up there just watching, watching. Finally, one moment, about 10 minutes into that clap session, a baker in the corner, older man, sits down. Immediately, everybody else sits with him. Funny how that happens, right? Spontaneous applause and uproar for 10 minutes. One man sits down, everybody else sits down with him. Later that night, that baker had the, had the regime visit his house. He was arrested, taken into interrogation, sent off to the gulags. The last thing the interrogator said to him before sending him away, never be the first one to stop clapping. 10 years of his life gone. That's self-preservation. Which brings us to the gospel. Jesus Christ stood out. Jesus Christ was different. And he knew that from the moment he came into this world. Because he came in the world in the midst of a very dishonest, hypocritical, religious, and political system. And Jesus Christ is the truth incarnate. And truth always stands out against falsehood. So the moment that his disciples said, understood that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, what was Christ's response? And the Son of Man must suffer greatly. Be rejected by the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, beaten, scourged, and crucified. Jesus knew the consequences of what it would mean to stand out and be different. That's the secret. Same thing that Alexander Schultz and Nitzan came to, and he wasn't even a Catholic until after he went through the gulags. He said the reason that every single person went along with the totalitarian regimes of his time is they were all afraid to stand apart. It was all ruled by fear. He said the only way to live in the midst of that was to live in the midst of was to live in the truth, to never defy your conscience, to never just go along with something because it was the norm. And Jesus Christ, he came to that same conclusion that Jesus Christ himself knew from the outset. You have to accept the consequences that come with living in the truth. You have to be willing to suffer, to lose your life in order to live in the truth. It's like negotiating a job, right? You can't negotiate for higher pay unless you have a plan B. If you don't have the power to say no to your boss and walk away, he can ask whatever he wants of you and you will stay there and you will do it because there is no other plan. Same thing with an abusive relationship. Before a man or a woman can abuse their partner psychologically, verbally, physically, they have to convince them that you don't have a plan B. You can't walk away. And once we become convinced that we cannot walk away from an abusive relationship, there's no end to how far that tyranny can go. It's the same thing in society. So what does the gospel offer us? What's different with being a Christian? It means that I have a plan B. It means that I don't have to go along with whatever the world around me tells me I have to do in order to survive. 
because this isn't where my prize is. I got a better relationship outside of this if I need to go to that. And anytime the stakes get too high in this relationship and I need to walk away, I have the power to say no. That's what Jesus Christ offers every single one of us. The power to say no when we feel that our rights are being violated. But if we love the world too much, if we love the comforts that it offers us too much, we lose the power to say no. He who loves his life in this world will lose it in the next life. That's a daunting reality we have to meditate on. If things are too good here, I'm not going to sacrifice it for what might be. Then we become ruled like the zebras by self-preservation, by blending in, afraid to stop clapping, no matter how absurd our environment becomes around us. But if our heart is truly set in heaven, when my religious convictions set me apart from the herd mentality, I won't be afraid to stand up. He who loses his life in this world will save it for the next life. Standing with Christ always gives us the courage we need to stand apart. And that is a hard lesson to learn. You have to be intentional about it. This isn't about the vaccine. This is about every single decision we make in our life and every single way that our faith is tested in this world. Peter represents every single one of us in our short-sightedness. Us humans who only think of self-preservation in this world. Far be it from you to suffer. Blend in. Be like everyone else. Don't stand out. Preserve your life. Save yourself. Yet what did Jesus say to him? You're not thinking as God. You're thinking as human beings do. Get behind me, Satan. Why would he call him Satan? What does thinking like human beings have to do with Satan? Satan is the prince of this world. In every way that he tempted Jesus Christ in the desert was a way to make him a worldly Messiah, to preserve him in this life and sacrifice the kingdom of his father. So when Peter echoes that same sentiment, Christ recognizes it immediately. This isn't the voice of God. And when we live for this world, it's only a matter of time when we join in that satanic rejection of Jesus Christ. And again, Peter shows us that. Because Peter, who had not yet come to embrace the cross, who did not understand the price that comes with following Jesus Christ in a foreign land, when that night came when Christ was put in his passion, was called to testify before the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and enter into the passion that he just foresaw. What did Peter say? When they said, you too are one of the disciples, they saw the red dot on him, and they came right at him. What was his response? I do not know the man. I don't belong to him. If we do not understand that to follow a suffering Messiah means ourselves to take up our cross and be willing to lose whatever we need to, to stand with him, it's only a matter of time before we join in that same denial of Peter.
I don't judge Peter. I understand Peter. I understand every one of those persons who was clapping in the midst of Stalin, afraid to stand apart. I understand that because we're all afraid. Every single one of us. And courage doesn't mean not being afraid. It just means being willing to make the proper choice in the midst of the fear. And the proper choice can only be made if we're willing to suffer the consequences of following our conscience, no matter what the consequences. Because in the end, it's not about standing against anyone or anything. It's not against, about standing against the world, standing against sin, standing against a political party or an ideology or a vaccine. It's about standing with Jesus Christ no matter what. Standing with your conscience. Standing with the unchanging truths of the Catholic Church. And if we can stand there, be willing to be set apart from the herd, to lose our life for the sake of Christ and that of the gospel. Although we may lose much here on this earth, we will preserve our souls for eternal life. And that's what life on earth is all about.